the way that I feel like this is being discussed in the media, it's already becoming part of this football game of like, whose fault is it? Is it the right or the left? Is it Pete Buttigieg's fault or not? Right. When right. like, these are things that would make everybody safe, making sure that the railroads are safe helps everybody. It should not be a political battle. There she is. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Bituation Room Podcast live stream. Uh, so excited to have y'all here on another Tuesday, Valentine's Day. Are we still doing this? Is this still a thing? Isn't it all a hallmark invention? Love, I mean, relationships. Not me. No, I'm a lone wolf. I don't, that's not the term. I'm a rambling woman, as they say. No, I rambled right into a heterosexual relationship with a man and have a child. Place where no one's gone before. So I wanted everyone to know that. Uh, and we are going to do something very brave this Valentine's Day and cook dinner. So uh, welcome, everybody. I hope you're having a great day. I hope if you're listening from the future that... Um, you got laid. You know what I'm saying? Let's be real. We're going to talk about that later in the show on how people are not having sex. Why is that? And how are we going to fix it in 90 minutes or less? Super excited to have comedian Eliza Skinner with me joining once again. It's been many, many, well, a couple of years. We're going to talk about AOC throwing down in the House Oversight Committee. We're going to talk about the Ohio derailment, um, arguably a lot less cool but just as fiery sorry that was that's bad that's a bad thing to say uh and then it's almost been a year since russia invaded ukraine yay so i wanted to hear uh, from journalist bronco marchatich contributor to jacobin uh, many other um awesome outlets he's gonna be joining me what's going on how the hell do we get out of this and by we, I mean they, but also we, because the United States has poured a lot of money. And you know what? If we can't get health care, at least could we get some sort of di diplomatic settlement in that region? Um, anyway, if you're here, if you're listening, obviously five stars on iTunes helps people discover this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I just wanted to read some very, very sweet reviews. This is what you get, y'all. This is what you get. You get my undying love. You shill for me, I shill right back. Keemish Squeamish says, funny and smart. I'm not sure what to write first. She's really both. Thank you. Um, Dubdin says, amazeballs. She's amazing. Best way to start off my Wednesday mornings. A great interviewer as well. A real treasure. Thank you guys so much. Anyone, you can also write a review. It's very simple. It's like, uh, you know, just one, two, three, four, five. All the stars. Give them to me and I will give you my love. Also... <laughs> We have bonus content for all the patrons, patreon.com slash situation room. You know where to go to get an extra 10, 15, sometimes 20 minutes of content. Two bucks a month, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month gets you a shout out during the fart song. If you don't know what that means, you will very soon. Although, to be honest, we don't have any new $10 patrons, so it might be a little embarrassing for your old gal here. Um, you get a lot of other perks, 20% off of merchandise. Um, if you want to give a one-time donation, though, 
TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. I appreciate all of that. Just FYI, the benefits for the patrons is going to drastically improve. And I don't want to give it away, but it's very exciting. And I'm looking forward to it. So that's coming down in March. So get in now. And hell yeah. <laughs> but uh, with all that, guys, get your big caps on. I can speak today. Um, this is what it is. Uh, what are you bitching about? Full disclosure. I am number 52 in line to buy Beyonce tickets. Don't judge me, internet. No, I'm not going to spend thousands of dollars. Maybe a Oh, my God. There's one person ahead of me. You guys, hang on. Hang on. I have to do this. Ah, oh, fuck. You know what? This was a bad idea. This whole thing was a very bad idea. I should have got my husband to do this for me, but he was putting down the baby, and I wanted to celebrate that. But like, you know what I'm saying? Now I uh, very much regret my decision and I don't know what to do right now. Um, all right, just give me anything that's like, yo, what, what are we working with? We, how much? Like 200, 300? Fuck you guys. All right, while this populates, I'm bitching about Ticketmaster and the fact that I'm even doing this right now and the fact that uh, I... First of all, become a patron so I can get better tickets. No, I'm just kidding. That Don't do that. That's a terrible reason. That's a terrible reason. Me supporting a billionaire like Beyonce, who's just probably the greatest talent of our lifetimes and ever, you know, then I'm, it's incredible that we're like gracing the earth at the same time that she's also on earth. Yes, I am a stan. Uh, but no, I'm bitching about um, something very, okay, here we go. Something very silly that I saw. And I was like, you're fucking kidding me. Turns out, no place is safe from sexual harassment. In fact, female scientists in Antarctica say that Antarctica is a sexual harassment hellscape. That's right. It's not enough that it's melting it's not enough that all kinds of anthraxian permafrost viruses are being released. It's not enough that we vie over the freshwater resources and the rights to Antarctica and that they will be the cause of world wars five through seven. But no, men will whip out their dicks. That's right. Yes, men will be disgusting no matter where you go, you can go to the literal ends of the earth and this is what's gonna happen to you. So here we are, uh, women in STEM being sexually harassed. 95% uh, of women in, interviewed in focus groups knew someone who had experienced assault or harassment within the Antarctic program. To outsiders, the graphic detail and matter of fact des descriptions were shocking, but in the polar science community, the reaction was different. No one was surprised, yeah. Like, these are the people who are, re these are the people who are going to save the polar bears? Really? Sir? You're going to get frostbite on that? Like, this is, it's so ridiculous. You can't, and again, like, it's the, look, it happens in comedy. It happens in every single goddamn industry. It is a boys club. And of course, being at the ends of the earth is no exception. Um, 
there is one disgusting detail here. Um, the station culture this is an Antarctic station, I believe, um, is complex and opaque. She said certain dorms and lounges have reputations. And for a newcomer, it's hard to know which you want to be in and which you want to stay away from. In this report, one interviewee said she'd been told on her first day at McMurdo, which is a terrible name. It sounds like murders happen there, but in, you want it to sound cute. So you're like, McMurdo. Um, to stay clear of a certain building unless she wanted to be raped. Another woman said she felt like she was seen as prey no matter where she was physically on the base. You know, men, especially on the left, love to fucking Margaret Thatcher me. They love to be like, um, okay, but like you had like one cunt. Like, yeah, we know. We know. Okay, but the Madeline Albright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day. Every day y'all fuck up. Every day you're given the opportunity to not be a predator. And every day men fail. And it, you know, this location is no exception. And I hope their dicks freeze off. And that's all I want to say about that. Um, and yay for women in STEM. My baby has a big ass brain. And I think she's going to be a smart child. Because that is apparently how it does work. <laughs> if a big head, you might be smart. And I want her to be a woman in STEM. I don't want her to have to be a podcaster. You know what I'm saying? Even though she would be a Nepo baby podcaster. But anywho, um, let me bring into the habituation room, the physical room, the virtual room, comedian, head writer of Earth to Net on Disney+. Plus. And in 2020, you might have caught her live co comedy album regarding my lovers, Eliza Skinner. Hello. Eliza Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm like, I don't know, slowly <laughs> freaking out about getting tickets. This is the dumbest idea. Where are you ever. now? I'm, I can buy them right now. All right, buy them. I guess so. But do you want to just vamp about like, sure, what you know what? I, I can, as far as women in STEM um, being uh, victims of sexual abuse, they're also sometimes sexual abusers while being victims of sexual abuse. Are you familiar with the case of uh, uh, sexual harassment against Coco the gorilla? I remember Coco. This is not, Coco and Harambe are different, no, right? No, Coco There's, the gorilla Coco? was the gorilla who spoke sign language. And yes. uh, there are lots of videos of Coco meeting uh, celebrities, Robin Williams, Mr. Rogers, I think. She had a little um, uh, uh, kitten that she named all ball um but uh i i think she's mostly a hoax i don't think that she could actually speak sign language i think that it was just like like most animal communication um attempts it's them learning a, a response to like hey i do this and it makes you do that you know like dog training like anything um but coco i found out only could say like after all this training, finally, I believe that was Coco could say one sentence, which was like, you banana, give me banana. I don't, I don't know. But if you, if you look her up, you can find a lot of videos of her speaking in sign language and her um, handler, uh, Francine Patterson would sort of <laughs> translate what she was saying. Uh, and very often it would be, it, it, it it's just, it's, if you watch it, you're like, mm, this is not actually happening. But one of the things that often happened, apparently, was uh, Coco would sign something uh, to Francine and her um, assistants and be like... Team of shill, team of grifters, well, no, of no, liars. Her, her female assistants, um, women in STEM, 
and science. Um, and Francine would be like, oh, yeah, uh, Coco would like to see your nipples. Coco's interested in seeing your nipples. Take your shirts off. And they would be like, what? And she'd be like, yeah, Coco wants it. She's just, a, she's a gorilla. She wants to see. She wants to see what yours are like. So take off your shirts. And eventually these women sued Coco and Francine for sexual harassment. There's just, there's just no end is what I'm saying. There's no end. <laughs> So you're saying it's Margaret Thatcher, Madeleine Albright, and Francine. What's her last Patterson. name? Patterson. No, I'm saying that women are uh, the the idea that women are for um, for sex and can be and sexual things can be demanded of them has so permeated our culture that even gorillas uh, are 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 affected by that messaging. <laughs> well, Coco was a Coco was a female. Yeah, but I mean. The, I think the the, the third line for all of There's this so many is questions. who's being victimized. Uh, right, right, right. You know? It's still women in STEM no matter what. You got to show your nips if you want to get close yeah. to the gorilla. Yeah, it's like, oh, so I hear you got a doctorate, but what do your nipples look like? Like, okay, <laughs> weirdos. Is that I fucking love that story. So that is so funny. Yeah, um, I think maybe I'm thinking of Nim Chimsky, who's the other who's the other gorilla who was like very, very close. Mm. Wasn't a chimp, in fact, but close to like designing and speaking. Eliza, what are you bitching about today beyond, you know, having to show, you know, go um, topless for the apes? I, I can can I say pen the the um fervor around Penn Badgley putting up some um restrictions on his own career? I don't uh, Googling right now. Okay. Penn yeah, Badgley, talk about who it. is the star of You on Netflix, yes. the yes. sexy yes. stalker show, which, yeah, great concept. Um, but not like I don't watch it. I watch it, but still, that's it's a it's <laughs> problematic concept. Um, but he came out and said that he did not want to do explicit sex scenes on the show anymore. And I th guess he's, he talked about it on this podcast and people, I've seen people up in arms about it and they're like, oh, oh, so you're, you, so, so have fun with Candace Cameron and Kirk Cameron. Wow. Wow. What a prude. Wow. It's just, it, so you can't do your job. And like people all across the political and cultural spectrum are saying this. And I think it's so weird and so indicative of this thing that we, we, we have a hard time, I think, as a culture now. Uh, differentiating between what is political and what is not like yes you can as an individual make decisions about how you want to live your life and how you want to have b b the expectations that you want placed on you at work that you will accept and like you could say that you can just be like hey i'm not going to do that anymore you can be like hey you know what i'm not going to eat carrots anymore that yeah. doesn't mean that you're saying and no one in the whole world should eat carrots. And if you do, it means you're a dirty slut. Like this guy just said, I don't want to have to take my clothes off and be sexual at work anymore. I've done it a whole lot. I just, I don't want to do that anymore. I just think it's interesting that it's a man standing up and saying that, you know, after I think an industry that where women have felt pressured to do mm -hmm. that, there's so many liberties that have been taken. They feel like their careers are on the line and it's kind of like, I mean, I say this actually with a lot of respect for him and his decision, like women sometimes do need to, for lack of a better term, but like lean in a little bit, like kind of like just think with, you know, your invisible, like, like dick or whatever, like your big dick energy that you don't have. Um, and, you know, it's the same thing with imposter syndrome. It's like, 
just, okay, go into this job like a dude. What would a dude think? Not going to second guess. Just go do it. Like, and in this case, I'm just, I don't want to do these sex scenes anymore. I don't, it's not part of what I want to do. And uh, the show's a hit from what yeah. I've heard. So oh, it doesn't having, seem like he needs to. He's still he having ton, like a bunch of sex on the show. Uh, it's just all clothed sex now, which I think kind of makes it hornier because Every time they're like, we can't even take our clothes off. Put your stuff inside of my stuff right now. You know, it's like, <laughs> we got to do it right away. Like, all right. So it, it's not like. It's just like a 10 minute rubbing scene. You're like, yes. <laughs> they're just like humping at, or there's like blankets in their bed and stuff. It, and the people who make the show didn't have any problem with it. He says that the showrunner was really down with it. So I, I really I found it so strange that anyone outside of that equation has has latched onto it as much as I have seen people latching onto it on on Twitter. Like it's just some guy who who doesn't want to fuck at work anymore. <laughs> so yeah, what? The, the amount of the amount of things that we feel like actors owe us is just wild. Yeah, uh, and as I said, the amount of things that we think are commentaries on us, I think just in general about someone else's decisions about their life we think there's like an implicit like oh so you think i'm gross for watching it oh so you think right. i'm uh, i'm weird because that wouldn't bother me or like whatever it's like this is this person's personal life he can right he can do that it's okay yep pen badgley doesn't owe you anything even though i thought pen badgley were was like a, a luxury brand <laughs> Because it sounds like another luxury brand. But Penn, thank you for standing up. That's a good thing to bitch about. Um, not everything is political. Not everything has to do with you. And you don't always need an opinion about everything. And I say this as someone who's got an opinion about pretty much everything. Um, but let's move on to uh, what happened in this week. Um, I, Because I have a child, I was not able to write just banger monologue jokes about the week. But we've been shooting down objects that might be aliens. Uh, Joe Biden gave a speech and Dianne Feinstein is retiring. About this alien thing, please. They're UFOs. Like, we are so, gl like, glossing over the definition of UFO. It just means unidentified flying object. No, it means anal experiments. <laughs> That's what it means. No. I choose to believe. From, from when they were like, oh, we're declassifying all the UFO stuff. I have so many people in my life who are like, so you, you heard about how we do have aliens around all the time. And I'm like, no, we don't. And they're like, well, no, no. They, the government has said there are UFOs. And I'm like, none of those letters stand for ET. None of, they yes. just are like, we don't know what that was. There's just we a don't lot know. of debris. We've, un we've not a identified it. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of things in the sky. One of them was like a octagon. That that seems kind of cool. I oh, just that hope is they're not shape, like though. Exactly. Yeah, never mind. I take it back. What? <laughs> I love how we just like oh octagon. That's too many sides, dude. Yeah, that's that's, definitely that's alien, alien technology. I don't think we've even <laughs> humans haven't gone past seven sides. So no, uh, uh um no exactly we got the pentagon and that's it you you got more than that whoa yeah bow down fucking you can do you could do any experiments you want um <laughs> you're already but, doing plenty in the pent pentagon you know what i'm saying <laughs> oh absolutely i don't know um no they are they yeah, sure. they are though there i would like to believe there's like a little you know sort of american dad like alien like hanging around the pentagon with lots of wigs 
Lots, exactly, with lots of wigs. Um, well, let's get into it. This was the week where um, one of the first hearings under the newly uh, Republican-led Congress has been about the Hunter Biden story and whether or not the his laptop holding secret information about whether or not that was suppressed by the company Twitter back when it wasn't owned by the richest man on earth. Um, and yes, this is the priority under Republican leadership for these committees. And that committee, one of the committees is the House Oversight Committee. Um, and they're digging deep, y'all. And actually, there is someone on that committee who, thank God, is bringing us back down to earth. And that is Re Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who basically effortlessly just crucified this attempt at like pure partisanship politics, pure like big tech is, you know, suppressing my voice, et cetera, et cetera. All the bullshit that Republicans are talking about. She crucified it in this, um, in her, in her statement here, in her line of questioning. And I just want to play some of it. We'll stop down, uh, Eliza and talk about it, um, uh, occasionally, but here she is starting, starting off AOC. Right here at the top here, this isn't even my line of questioning, but I'd like to submit to the record a Washington Post article now warning about Hunter Biden laptop disinformation, the guy who leaked it. Here's the deal. Before I even get into my questions, I think that the, the story here with the New York, uh, with the Washington Post reporting is that what they're saying right here, when the New York Post first reported in October 2020 that it, it had obtained contents of a laptop computer allegedly owned by Joe Biden's son Hunter, there was an immediate roadblock faced by other news outlets that hoped to corroborate reporting, as many did. The newspaper wasn't sharing what it obtained. New York Post had this alleged information and was trying to publish it without any corroboration, without any backup information. They were trying to publish it to Twitter. Twitter did not let them, and now they were upset. I believe that political operatives who sought to inject explosive disinformation with the Washington Post couldn't get away with it. And now they're livid. And they want the ability to do it again. They want the ability to inject this again. So they've dragged a social media platform here in Congress. They're weaponizing the use of this committee so that they can do it again. A whole hearing about a 24-hour hiccup in a right-wing political operation. That is why we are here right now. A whole hearing about a 24-hour hiccup in a right-wing political operation. That line is brilliant. So here she is, the preamble to her line of questioning, which is effectively entering into the record, this Washington Post article, not to be confused with the New York Post, the one who originally had this story, to say um, the reason there was this hold on the story was because no other news outlet could corroborate it. No one else was like, Okay, so so they they held it for a moment, and then it was published anyway, and then people jumped onto it. I I don't know if it's now or later, but we all know that like the guy who was repairing the laptop was like, yeah, this is a not non-story. This is nothing. Uh, this is this doesn't exist. This and like I've seen his dick, not that amazing. <laughs> um. All right. Well, let me let me continue to play. And it is. 
it, it's just a, an abuse of public resources, an abuse of public time. We could be talking about healthcare. We could be talking about bringing down the cost of prescription drugs. We could be talking about abortion rights, civil rights, voting rights. But instead, we're talking about Hunter Biden's half-fake laptop story. I mean, this is an embarrassment. But I'll go into it. Miss mm. Navarroli, let's talk about something real. I'd like to show you a tweet posted by former President Trump about my colleagues and I on July 14, 2019. It says in part, quote, why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy as quickly to work out free travel arrangements. A day or two after that, uh, Donald Trump publicly uh, incited you know, violence at a rally, uh, targeting four congresswomen, including myself, saying, go back to where you came from. Uh, Ms. Navarroli, as I understand it, you were uh, the most senior member of Twitter's content moderation team, or a senior member of Twitter's content moderation team when this was posted. Um, as part of your responsibilities, did you review this tweet? Yes, it was my team's responsibility to review these tweets. And what did you conclude? My team, Ray, made the recommendation that for the first time we find Donald Trump in violation of Twitter's policies and use the public interest interstitial. For the first time? Yes. And at the time, Twitter's policy included a specific example when it came to banned abuse uh, against immigrants as in, they specifically included the phrase, go back to your country or go, or go back to where you came from, correct? Yes, that was specifically included in the content moderation guidance as and an you, example. You brought this up to the Vice President of Trust and Safety, Del Harvey, correct? I did, yes. And she overrode your assessment, didn't she? Yes, she did. Um, and something interesting happened after she overrode your assessment. A day or two later, Twitter seemed to have changed their policies, didn't they? Yes, that trope, go back to where you came from, was removed from the content moderation guidance as an example. So Twitter changed their own policy after the president violated it um, in order to potentially accommodate his tweet? Yes. Thank you. Um, there we go. So that, that is just so perfect. Just a set them up, knock them down example of how Twitter, first of all, this is 2019, y'all. You think Donald Trump wasn't inciting violence and through his rhetoric before 2019 on Twitter? So it took that, that tweet of go back to where you came from to be the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And what happened? She recommends, hey, you should take this down because it violates our policies of saying go back to where you came from. So her supervisor said, nope, it doesn't. And then a couple days later, fucking changed the policy. The right has a victim complex that is absolutely not real. I mean, it's so clear. I, Eliza, I don't know if you remember that moment where he said that, that go back to where you came from, that whole shebang. I, I don't, but I mean, I, you know, I saw the, this, and he said so many fucked up things. Um, it, it's just... I think that um, we have crossed over into a world where uh, it, it, politics and the news are just sports center now. It's just like WWF. It's like pick a team and root for it. Don't don't like don't care about actual policies, actual news items and events that don't have to do with politicians. It's it it, it, yeah. it, it, it was not going to get us anywhere. But I, I don't see any way to change it. 
it's sorry i'm no yeah and and what sucks is that this is so you know social media is you know very um i would say i could characterize it naively as like a conduit for those political teams you know and and that kind of thing and it's supposed to you know twitter is ideally supposed to keep people safe not just yeah, completely these are, allow these stories that are false the, um, these are policies or, that should benefit everybody um yes. it's not like oh well that's some woke left policy like no these are just these are just policies that if applied to everyone make everybody's experience a little bit more streamlined but they all get attributed to one side or another and then everything is is a point for some team it, exactly instead Rather of like, like helping hey, everybody don't do death threats all around yeah. but that's of course that's like when you're actually the other side is good faith the other side cares about pe keeping people safe and aoc ends this hearing in her time uh speaking more specifically about an account that has been allowed to thrive and exist on the current twitter um here we go um so much for bias against right wing on twitter uh, additionally, Ms. Navaroli, are you familiar with the account Libs of TikTok? I have heard of it from the news, yes. Um, Mr. Roth, are you familiar with this account? Yes, ma'am, I am. Are you aware from, that from August 11th to August 16th, that account posted false information about Boston Children's Hospital, claiming that they were providing hysterectomies to children? Yes, I am aware of that and other claims from the account. And are you aware that this lie was then circulated by other prominent far-right influencers? Yes. And are you aware that all these claims, uh, which I have reiterated, were false, culminated in a real-life harassment and ultimately a bomb threat to the Boston Children's Hospital? Yes, I am aware. And this account is still on that platform today, isn't it? Regrettably, yes, it is. Despite inspiring a bomb threat due to the right-wing incitement of violence against trans Americans in this country, because they cannot let go of this obsession with fixating violence and inciting violence against trans and LGBT people, in addition to immigrants, in addition to women of color, this is a party that cannot pick on anyone their own size. And they are trying to co-opt an entire social media platform and use the power of this committee and of Congress in order to pursue a political agenda. Mm. Um, so it's just so perfectly crystal clear the way she puts it. And I just want to say those two tweets, the incitement of violence now and the incitement of violence then, they were under different Twitter leadership, right? Jack was in charge of Twitter. or Not Jack, but whatever. Jack squared. Jack, the other, the new Jack. Um, and... Remember, he didn't get Trump didn't get kicked off of Twitter until when? Until the Capitol riots, until the insurrection on January 6th. Because you take down that tweet that's like, go back to where you came from, it'll keep people safe. But man, your engagement is gonna go down. And who wants that? We want more engagement. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a perfect example of um what I was saying that a policy like no lies presented as facts on this. <laughs> website is an is a policy that protects everybody it shouldn't have right. to be a politicized one side versus the other type of thing like that makes everybody safer but people have chosen to support making themselves less safe to try to make a cudgel out of these things to hurt someone else
Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, absolutely. Because when your bread and butter, butter, when your bread and butter, <laughs> when your bread and butter is lies, then you don't want to have fact checkers. Then you don't want to have any intermediaries. And meanwhile, Elon Musk sitting with Rupert Murdoch at the Super Bowl. <laughs> Kill yourself. Uh, all right. <laughs> we got to move on to an arguably, again, less fun story, but very juicy. A lot went down. Um, so this was the week where um, a, a train burst into flames after a derailment in the small town of 5,000 people in East Palestine, Ohio, or I believe it might be East Palestine. That's how people seem Not to be sure saying it. Yeah. Palestine, Palestine, whatever, free, free them both. Um, it's an 150 car train and it burst into 100 foot flames with all kinds of chemicals, including vinyl chloride and other things I can't pronounce, uh, something called phosgene, which is a toxic gas that can cause vomiting and breathing trouble. Obviously, the derailment created new gases. Um, and here you can see a little bit of the footage from that, from that explosion. There you go, right there. Just a fireball straight up in the air in this sleepy little town outside of Pittsburgh. 4.5 million tons of chemicals are shipped by rail each year. An average of 12,000 rail cars carrying hazardous materials pass through cities and towns each day. This is more broadly. Now, this region in particular is super ripe for these kinds of derailments because the Pittsburgh region alone has seen uh, eight train derailments over the last five years. It's a hub here. Um, and there are about 1,700 annual derailments that occur nationally um the causes of the pittsburgh accidents highlight the myriad of ways in which things can go wrong a crack in a track ignored by trail rail companies caused a 2018 derailment while another train hit a dump truck at a crossing with an inadequate safety equipment a broken axle on a car train is thought to be the source of the east palestine accident so that is what happened that 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 axle broke what's been the fallout residents have been told they should just open the doors and windows and air out their homes. They have not been offered another open your place doors to and stay. windows. So if there's anything gross outside, come right on in. <laughs> yeah. Get that air in Let your it house. All in. Absolutely. Um, they've not been provided with uh, alternative housing or let's say bottled water or any kind of assistance. It's just like, ah, eh? I, I mean, there's only 5,000 of you. And ironically, y'all, I don't know if anyone heard of or saw the Netflix film White Noise. Yeah. This White Noise is literally about the town of East Palestine or a town very similar to it to the point where they film there. They film this movie in East Palestine and it is about a train train derailment uh, spilling toxic chemicals. Um, so a little bit on the nose, people who were in the blast zone were actually extras on that film. And now it's all coming true. Um, but if you yeah, would like so to watch a good movie that is related <laughs> to this, um, this situation, I would recommend Dark Waters, um, which is also a movie about uh, uh, chemical um, destruction of our environment and uh, using just dis <laughs> being horrible, corporate chemical horribleness and the way that it's covered up. 
Dark Waters. Ooh, I need to see. So it's not a Noah Baumbach film. It's not a Noah Baumbach film. No, it's a um, it's a Mark Ruffalo and Todd Haynes. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it was it, it was about Dupont and all the Teflon cover up shit and all of the disgusting things that they did to animals and people by covering it up. And I'm sure it, did, it stopped it right once that film came out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, totally. Oh, God. Yeah. And similar chemicals too. Similar like these poly chloro whatever's that like change also when they interact with water and with different par- things in our environment so they can say like it's not that bad when it's inside of a train car and then well it becomes a completely different chemical once it's on fire and in the air and interacting with other atoms um yeah i mean so the fallout is something that we're gonna get more information about and this was a week ago, over a week ago that this derailment happened we're gonna find out more about you know people's livelihoods and lives and and maybe not even for months or years or decades and we shall see but i'm always curious about the political side to things sadly or whatever because i have to say there's someone at fucking fault otherwise i feel crazy and when tragedies so-called tragedies like this happen over and over and over again you probably are going to bet that there's some uh, bullshit happening behind the scenes. And there, lo and behold, is. So it turns out that um, Northern Suffolk, which is the rail company, has been lobbying Congress consistently for years to uh, refrain from putting regulations on their trains that are carrying uh, these kinds of toxic chemicals, specifically regulations around their braking system. So let's learn more about that. This is an uh, article from The Lever that did some great reporting. Um, Norfolk Southern train derailment prompted uh, emergency evacuations before this weekend's fiery derailment. The company, uh, before it, the company helped kill a federal safety rule aimed at upgrading the rails industry's Civil War era braking systems. Um, let's talk about the old brakes. A vast majority of the nation's trains continue to rely on a braking system first developed in 1868. Trains equipped with these the traditional line. air brakes. Exactly. Woo wee. Um, they, they make emergency stops more slowly with higher rates of damage than the trains equipped with ECP brakes, according to both safety advocates and Federal Railroad Administration. So ECP brakes... Um, Uh, While air brakes stop the trains individually as air pressure moves sequentially from one car to the next, ECP brakes operate using an electronic signal that can stop an entire train much faster. As one railroad insider told the Washington Post, and I love this quote, they told them anonymously, uh, trains are like giant slinkies. When you have the back of the train running into the front of the train, they can actually push cars out because a derailment cause a derailment and cause a hell of a mess. So that's the brake technology. Now, why were they resistant? What did, what happened? Well, according amid a lobbying blitz against stronger transportation safety regulations, Norfolk Southern paid executives millions and spent billions on stock buy- buybacks, all while the company shed thousands of employees despite warnings that understaffing is intensifying safety risks. Norfolk Southern officials also fought off a shareholder initiative that could have required companies to assess, review, and mitigate risks of hazardous material transportation. So that's from their own shareholders, and that's what they were doing around what they ultimately did, which was lobby regulators in the in government to kill provisions requiring rail cars carrying hazardous flammable materials to be equipped with those 
ECPs, those electronic braking systems to stop trains moving, stop trains more quickly than conventional air brakes. Norfolk Southern had previously touted the new technology known as ECP brakes for its potential to reduce train stopping distances as much as 60% over conventional air brake systems. So we're going to just talk about the fact that we can do this. We're going to tout it, roll it out, but we're not going to actually invest in putting those brakes on our trains, nor upgrading any of the railways. And also at the same time, shedding employees and being one of the many, one of the few rail barons right now that is has been actively lobbying Congress to also preemptively break the strikes of rail workers. And it happened just before fucking Christmas. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly what those rail workers have been saying, which is like, yo, corners are being cut. I mean, yes, I don't have any paid sick leave, so I'm operating these trains with toxic chemicals with a flu or COVID or whatever. But also more broadly, it's very unsafe. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, Essentially, like when you said, I, I look for the political thing, like for me, I, I feel like I tend to look for the um, what is the labor issue happening here. Right. And yeah. I feel like that it's no coincidence that this happened right after this strike got broke, which happened months within months of all of this airline shit with like Southwest and everything. God. All of these industries we're getting so the people at the top need to be making so much more money than the people at the bottom that we're getting fewer and fewer employees. And it becomes this message of like, well, if we spent more money on making things safer and on hiring more people and giving people enough time to rest, we would have to charge people more because we couldn't make as much money for for who? For the people at the top who need to be making more. I, I, I think that there needs to be like a percentage cap on how much more the heads of corporations can be making than the least paid employee like absolutely you, you just you can't do that and once again the way that i feel like this is being discussed in the media it's already becoming part of this football game of like whose fault is it is it the right or the left is it pete booty judge's fault or not right when right. like these are things that would make everybody safe making sure that the railroads are safe helps everybody it should not be a political like battle it should just be like how mm-hmm. do we from to me the but whole this point is, of having, i mean this is late stage capitalism yeah, this is there's uh, no everyone point to our country anymore i think no the whole point of having a country is culling our resources so that we can distribute them well enough that we all get to be safe and healthy and that is absolutely not what's happening anymore <laughs> it's like what's yeah. the point of having a country what are we doing? No, and, and and arguably, this is what libertarians will say. They're like, well, we don't need a country because North, uh, uh, North, Norfolk Southern is going to go down because this is going to look real bad on their record, and then no one's going to buy Just from like them. BP went down. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. Like, Remember that spill? Not what happened. No one ever heard of it. It was like, what the fuck are you talking? Exactly. No, we are run by corporations. They do. They run roughshod over our lives. They do whatever they want with them. And you're that fix you just mentioned is such a brilliant fix. You don't have to talk about dollars. You don't have to talk about wage. You just say you can't make more than, you know, five times as much as or 10 times as much. What is it now? It's like 80 times as much. At least. And if you have like, right. if you're so greedy and you're like, I want to, I don't want my company making more and more money. Fine. Great. You spend that on benefits that will benefit everybody there. You want to buy yeah. a jet ski? How about everybody gets their percentage of a jet ski i don't know okay i'm a comedian sure but i'm just saying there has to be a way to like 
protect and benefit everybody. It's absolutely. I don't know. It's it's a broken contract. I mean, what you're speaking to is the fact that there is no benefit to living in this country or like anymore. Um, We're when we are constantly being told that like this is the price, your contaminated water, your children with cancer, you know, that that's the price for freedom. I'm almost Uh, on the verge of feeling bad for billionaires because I'm like, you're just evil monster people now like yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you your brain rotten it's it's like yeah. we've become skexies and whatever those other creatures are in the black crystal where the the, the creatures <laughs> yeah. split into like good and evil like Ooh. i i gotta go back and watch that but i i will i want to shout out urban hermit on patreon who's watching and says a broken axle is a convenient alibi for an antiquated brake system perfect exactly uh the lack of meg- meganic megantic quebec derailment 10 years ago destroyed half a town with 74 deaths i mean again like how it's just trying not to die in this country that's all we do is just like hey could i not die in mass shooting train derailment toxic chemicals we've also Um, long never valued our railways like as soon as the highway systems took over it was like good luck getting people to care about investing money and time and safety in the railways because that's not our main mode of transportation or even and and even though we used to get goods around people don't think about it no right exactly all right well we no 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 um we'll continue to follow the story obviously but i think it's it's super important and a lot of mainstream outlets are not covering it because there's it's but it's such a juicy story if you cover it from these angles if you cover it from the labor angle and you cover it from the political corruption angle in my opinion um it's not just a tragedy that sort of ends and you know begins and ends there is a lot more to it but they won't because it's sort of the heat comes down on biden we gotta move on to the sitch for this week um perhaps even more depressing than chemical spills or hunter biden's d-picks is what's going on in ukraine um the war continues to rage we're coming up on a year since the beginning of it and i want to welcome um staff writer for jacobin author of yesterday's man the case against joe biden love that please welcome bronco marchatich bronco thanks for having me so good to have you thank you for joining us um so you've been doing some great reporting about the war in Ukraine and you've spoken to a lot of experts and folks and, and people in the like um, in the, I, I guess, intelligence communities and defense um, um, sort of defense community. What is the assessment a year into this thing? Uh, how do we get out? What, do, what can we do? Are we closer to you had an article titled basically we're about to go to like nuclear war is closer than we think. Are we closer to nuclear war? Or are we closer to a diplomatic settlement? That's my question for you. Hmm. Let's start it up. Uh, I mean, I, I would never uh, say that we should be relaxed about the risk of nuclear war, especially when, you know, we look at the situation in Ukraine where you have this pretty unprecedented situation, you know, basically what is, you know, among other things, a, a proxy war between, Two countries that have basically enough nuclear uh, weapons to destroy uh, the the world several times over. Um, so that is something that the you know a risk that we should be cognizant of 
you know, through this entire uh, uh, war. Um, in terms of what we're closer to, I mean, I think I think we're slowly edging uh, towards a position where some sort of ceasefire maybe at the uh, may, maybe on the cards, but it, it seems like it's still going to be a little while away. Um, you know, I think. Uh, actually, just yesterday, uh, the Washington Post reported that the Biden administration basically told Zelensky, um, you know, look, uh, the, the, these weapons, it's not clear that we're going to be able to keep giving you military aid because Congress is just not as uh, as into it anymore as they were um, when it was a Democratic controlled Congress. Um, so you gotta you gotta uh, get some sort of win and, and push things towards some sort of resolution here because uh, we're not we're not sure how much longer we're gonna be able to support you. Um, you know, frankly, I think they should have been kind of putting this kind of pressure on Zelensky way before this um, because mm. uh, uh, I mean that's not, not just Zelensky is not you know really the the bigger problem. It's it's the fact that he's surrounded by a lot of people who are much more hardline than him. Zelensky has always been more inclined to negotiations than, than the people around him. But regardless, really? like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's that's been something that's been pretty um, ignored by by mainstream reporting. Uh, you know, <laughs> Zelensky early in the war was saying, um, uh, uh, you know, he wanted the West uh, uh, to, to take more of a role in negotiations with Russia, uh, even after Butcher, the, the massacre of Butcher was, was discovered, which obviously, you know, is a, is a horrific uh, war crime uh, and, and, you know, was something that, that, that really uh, hurt the, the chance for peace talks. Even then, Zelensky was saying, you know, at the end of the day, as, as terrible as this is, as, as difficult as it's going to make it, um, this is, you know, talks and negotiations are the only way this war is going to end. Unfortunately, yeah. that stuff has been ignored. So, you know, I think now there is finally a move to to, to push things in this direction. Um, you know, unfortunately, if it had been started months ago, um, you know, the, the thousands of lives that could have been saved uh, uh, and, and so much else, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to think about. Yeah. I mean... So, I mean, just a, like a little bit of a roundup, what's going on now? 90,000 Russians are estimated to have been killed, uh, soldiers and, and civilians. Um, I don't know the numbers on Ukraine, but le- the, the casualties have been much larger on the Russian side because Russia's effectively losing. Uh, General Mark Milley today, the chairman of America's Joint Chiefs of Staff, said that Russia has lost strategically, operationally, and tactically. So it's kind of like all over, but the you know the crying or whatnot. What is it? You know, all over, but the anyway. The fat lady's about to sing is what I'm saying. If I can mix every single metaphor that's ever I've ever learned, but like so that it's kind of like how to manage Putin's insanity, given that he is losing this war. Well, is that I, correct? I would be a little more careful about that. I mean, at the moment, the, the situation on battlefield is kind of reversed. I mean, Ukraine had that that offensive um, mm-hmm. where they they reclaimed a bunch of territory, and and to, I think that should have been the moment. Um, I mean, I think it should have been even earlier than that. But but uh, when when this war was dragged out, that could have been a good moment to to move into talks because Ukraine was at a good position. But at that point, the discourse in both the United States and, and, and other Western countries and, and in Ukraine shifted towards not, you know, getting to a position of negotiating strength, but actually going further now militarily winning the war. And so uh, that moment was missed. And then what's happened now, actually, Russia has been gaining, uh, you know, very small and incrementally, but has been gaining uh, uh, in terms of some territorial conquests in, um, in the Donbass. 
meanwhile, you know, German intelligence uh, a month or two ago uh, disclosed that they uh, thought uh, their assessment was that Ukraine was losing uh, uh, men in the triple figures every single day. I mean, you know, so oh, th what that means, you know, could be 100, could be 900. Um, but yeah. but that is a staggering amount. And I mean, the uh, the battlefield losses, again, as you said, it's not clear what exactly they are. Um, but uh, there are the, the estimates among, you know, the United States and other NATO partners have them at about, you know, uh, uh, six figures for each country. So somewhere over 100,000 for each. Now, that's that's bad for Russia. I mean, that's that's those are catastrophic losses if you compare them to, say, how much the U.S. Uh, uh, lost over just its, its 20 year invasion of Afghanistan. Um, sure. But for Ukraine, it's even it's even worse. I mean, Ukraine before the war had a, a population that was about a third of Russians. Um, it's now right. even smaller because you know seven eight million people have fled. So uh, that's a much worse situation. And then you you know you add on top of that the fact that the the, the Ukrainian economy is really only running because of um, a, a constant uh, foreign aid that's propping it up. Uh, I think its GDP contracted by, by something like 40% over the last year, whereas Russia, you know, it's, it's suffered from sanctions, but its economy is, is, has, has defied expectations about what was going to happen. So, I mean, you know, overall, Ukraine- You mean the a, sanctions didn't work? <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, sanctions yet again failed to actually dislodge someone from power and, and ultimately <laughs> yeah. just uh, increased uh, the suffering of ordinary people in those countries. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, I, I think what it looks like it's going to happen, uh, you know, from all indications and, and from the reporting we have. And, you know, I mean, I, I want to stress that I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but this is just what, what it seems like. No, I will hold you to this. Yes, <laughs> yeah. please. please call me out. Yeah. When the, when this yeah, thing yeah. ends up being proven wrong. Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I, it looks like Russia is going to make some gains now, then you, and, and it's going to make a major offensive. Who knows what's going to come of that. Um, and then Ukraine will, will launch another counteroffensive. And it seems like after that, basically there's going to be a concerted push to, to just um, work things out at the negotiating table. But I mean, in the, in that, time frame you know i think uh i mean there's going to be a tremendous amount of carnage that i i don't really particularly want to right. think about yeah absolutely between now and then it's just what's interesting also like speaking of predictions the last time we really talked about ukraine i had anatole levin on the show who uh was on maybe a week before the war started saying that he thought the war was never going to start and that we were sort of overblowing mm -hmm. it and it turned out you know Biden and the intelligence that he received was correct. You know, we thought it was a lot of bluster, but instead it, it wasn't. And so I hear you on there's on the horizon, there could be a ceasefire, but I'm very, you know, aware of just the lengths that at which Putin will go to, especially when losing and when backed in a corner, which I believe, you know, your work and writing around the nuclear option speaks to that, you know, mm. um, and it seems like Biden might also know that, like, dude is unstable. Putin's unstable. If he's losing, we need to somehow, it can't just be backing him into a corner. There's got to be some sort of off-ramp. Well, certainly, if and when the Ukrainian uh, military launches their counteroffensive, and if it is successful, um, that is something that's going to have to be managed, that, that, you know, the U.S. will have to say, well, there, there are lines that you cannot cross here because um you know i mean the the, the reason that that russia has a nuclear arsenal and, and the, the size of the nuclear arsenal it has is because of its uh mil its weakness in conventional military and so that it has this kind of 
you know, uh, horrendous and nightmarish, but but an ace in the hole nonetheless, where it can it can use its 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 weapons if it's really cornered. So you're right; that is something that's going to have to be uh, have to be managed. In terms of the um, you know the, the the predictions around when the war was going to start, I mean, you know, I have to say I was skeptical too. Um, I, I I thought a invasion would happen if uh, uh, negotiations failed to, to to take place over basically right. what, what Putin was uh, putting on the table. Um, but I did not think it was going to be kind of the, the the size and scale that it ended up being. That was that was a real surprise. But I think it is worth mentioning that you know, um, I mean, we get piecemeal uh, uh, insights into what U.S. intelligence or Western intelligence actually is, and, and you know, we don't see first-hand evidence of this, we, we get told to it by officials or officials, you know, launder it through the press, through through anonymous statements. I mean, I, th- I think it's important to note that that uh, some months after the war started, um, senior intelligence officials and former intelligence officials told James Risen uh, at The Intercept, who's a, he's a you know, a very a veteran national security reporter, that, um, that that the CIA had actually concluded that, that uh, over December and January, Putin had actually not decided to invade, and it was only in February mm. they made the decision to, to invade. I mean, I don't know when you had Anatol on, but I mean, to me, what that points to uh, is that again, if if the Biden administration had not rejected um, uh, uh, talks over you know limiting NATO's expansion um, right. in January and uh, December, as it did, um, you know, I mean, it's hard to we we can't know for sure, but there's a good chance that this entire war. Could have been avoided and and why they chose not to do that i don't know i don't know if it was a fear of of looking weak of, of being attacked right. um who knows but i mean you know i, I think whatever short-term cost that might have taken um uh, the, the long-term costs of actually having this war take place have been uh, far far worse when you say um uh you, you like so there'll be another push from russia and then another push back from ukraine um, is that just Ukraine or would that be Ukraine and friends? Well, I mean, NATO has been very careful around not, uh, uh, well, no, I don't want to say very careful, but they, they, they have as a, as a priority, at least nominally, not to cross certain lines to get involved in the war, because if NATO gets involved in the war, I mean, the, you know, NATO is a, an alliance of, you know, well over a dozen uh, states that that would lead to, to World War Three. Uh, I guess that's and, what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> are we um are we well, getting there? Yeah, no, I mean it's a good question. It's a question not a lot of people are asking. Um, uh, uh, horrifically, I mean it's it's a it's a topic that's been completely you know ignored and, until uh, you know Putin um, made those threats in October. But but you know the the amount of or rather the the the, the small amount. That this occupies and, and kind of uh, discourse uh, really allows me. I mean, uh, here's here's the problem: the, the Biden administration and and, and NATO governments uh, all say they don't want World War Three because, of course, it would be completely too good for the economy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and, and you know, I mean, no one wants to. Even the 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 elite, the, the ruling class, and in, in these uh, various governments, they don't want to you know die in, in some sort of uh, nuclear uh, hailstorm. But it's one thing to say, well, we don't want to do this, but quite another thing to actually stop it from happening. I mean, you know, right. World War One, no one necessarily wanted to go into World War One, um, but events can take a, a momentum of their own and leaders can sometimes, you know, feel that that uh, they don't have any other choice but to, to end up taking what end up being catastrophic decisions. 
And, and you know, one of the things I wrote recently for, for Responsible Statecraft at, at the Quincy Institute was, was just how all of these lines that the Biden administration had drawn, uh, not just early in the war, but, but even since, have just mm -hmm. been blown past. You know, they said right. we're not going to have troops in the ground. Apparently, there's special forces in Ukraine right now. Uh, uh, reportedly, the, 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 the CIA has been helping some other NATO government spy service carry out sabotage attacks within Russia. I mean, that is very close to, to direct hostility. Um, oh my the... God, next we'll fly balloons over the space. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds yeah. a lot like... Sounds a lot like grandpa being like, no candy, and then sneaking some under the table. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and don't even get me started on the balloon stuff, which you know, the, the, the overreaction to that has been kind of No, but special <laughs> operations inside of Russia is insane. Yes. I mean that's next level. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the 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 weaponry, the type of weaponry that they said that they wouldn't send. They they, you know, Biden said initially, you know, we're not sending any heavy weaponry. And then within, you know, a month or two, they started sending it. Uh, actually, the Ukrainian defense minister, uh, uh, soon to be gone, but but he uh, talked about this, almost boasted about it to, to the New Yorker and the Washington Post. You know, he said at the start of this war, I was told, you can't have this, you can't have this, you can't have tanks, you can't have jets, uh, you know, okay, all that. Okay, a little as a treat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and aside from the jets, uh, he's right. All of those lines ended up, the, ended up being crossed. And that's so, right. Question is, you know, at what point do do certain other lines get crossed? Not because you know the best of intentions aren't being um, uh, 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 aren't involved here from from Western governments, but just because of the momentum and, and the logic of, of of mission creep. Well, I mean, you were. I saying, think that's a really. So sorry, I was just going to say you were saying that um, Putin hadn't made his decision until like right before. It. So it sounds like a, there's a lot of just like flying by the seat of the pants with hundreds of thousands of people's lives in the balance yeah and i mean not even hundreds of thousands i mean you know if it was a nuclear war between the u.s and russia i mean we're looking at, at potentially billions. you know every yeah everybody i mean you know we're doing it to ourselves though now with all of our toxic chemicals exploding <laughs> yeah you know, we, that's uh, right we're like putin yo look we you don't even yeah it's like we got if this. you live in new york you may as well smoke right because you're you're <laughs> exactly. already getting that amount of okay anyway sorry i mean well, it's really hard as a for me as like a, a leftist an internationalist someone who's you know believes that there should be um international law and that other countries should not invade their neighbors and of course this goes for the united states and their history as well not invading necessarily neighbors but uh, you know, you know, uh, wars for resources. It's hard to know which line to take around this because I do believe that there should be a supporting of the Ukrainian people, right? And there should be a way to to do that without bolstering the war machine. And I believe someone like Ilhan Omar has articulated that in terms of we don't want to write a blank check to Ukraine forever and ever and ever. Then she gets hounded for that stance um, and kind of lumped in with some of the isolationist Republicans who are, again, sending money to Ukraine and weapons to Ukraine, but for completely, um, again, isolationist, xenophobic, like uh, almost also, let's be real, a little bit pro-Putin reasons, a little bit like, yeah, soft on Russia. I mean, they're all, Trump is like, it, this would have never happened under me because I would have just let crushed everybody with my wing. Exactly. Yeah. Just give it to him. Ukraine's so small. You know, like that's what would have happened. So it's hard to know like 
where we can stand um, in solidarity, but also against endless war and obviously against nuclear war. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a, these are not easy questions to answer. This is not a, a simple topic. I don't think, I think there's a lot of room for debate here, but you know, I mean, I think the, the one place that, 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 uh, domestic, that the U.S. politicians that, that, you know, Americans themselves uh, could have could have pressured their their lawmakers had they been informed about what was really going on throughout this war um, is isn't pushing for the United States to take a, a more um, diplom diplomatic first approach to this. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And also to, to you know, uh, uh, say that they, they wanted the, the war to end as soon as possible. I mean, you know, one thing that people are not aware of, this was re revealed in a, in a, you know, partly in a recent interview with the former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, who was uh, involved in some of the mediating um, for, for peace talks between Ukraine and Russia uh, early in mm -hmm. the war. Um, mm -hmm. and, and he said outright that, you know, basically, uh, maybe powers like France and Germany wanted the water end very quickly, you know, in the first month or so, um, and, and was supportive of the peace talks that were happening between Putin and Zelensky. And there were breakthroughs between those two men that, that could have led to an end of the war. But, you know, leadership like uh, uh, the UK's Boris Johnson and, and, and the US, Biden, they did not want the uh, the water end and they they blocked those peace talks. So they stopped those peace talks. Um, this is, you know, this is a former prime minister who just revealed this. And it wasn't he's not the only one. I mean, this uh, is corroborated by, by other things. We had Fiona Hill, a former Trump uh, yes, and Bush. National, mm -hmm. Yeah, national security official, you know, not a, a, a dove on Russia whatsoever. And she said in foreign affairs last year that there had been some sort of tentative agreement reached between the two sides um, in, in, in March and April. And, and what happened then? I mean, we learned uh, also from uh, Ukrainska Pravda, which is a Ukrainian paper. It's, it's by no means, you know, um, uh, aligned with Russia or anything like that. They reported that, that in early April, as it seemed like maybe the two sides have figured out some sort of way to, to end this war and, and it was agreeable to both. Boris Johnson flew down to Kiev out of nowhere and, um, and, and said, Anything that you sign, we are not going to recognize because we think Putin is weaker than uh, he seemed and you should keep uh, pressing him. And I mean, you know, if if people that all of these reports have almost been completely ignored by Western reporting, but if people knew about this, perhaps there would have been more of a push sure. to make. make well, our we, we Remember, we cared about Fiona Hill when she was speaking about the call that I believe this is her. The call that Biden, uh, Trump made to Zelensky trying to lean on him for dirt on Biden. I believe she was part of the entire first impeachment uh, hearing. Mm. So it was like, oh, all of her like incredible, you know, she was sort of lauded. And um, I think I think that was her. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe I'm getting yeah, my, she was involved, my people yeah. mixed up. But um, but yeah, it's like we were so curious about this situation when it came to like, you know, getting trump but now when it's come comes to biden we're sort of we're, yeah i guess my question for you on that on the putin stuff is Zelensky has recently said and i think that's fascinating that he's you know he is from the east he's from eastern uh, ukraine which is you know i believe is he from a territory that's currently being held by putin now i'm not sure but but i know that he's like always seen that border as like you know more fluid and he doesn't he believes that they're brothers and like there's you know there, he ultimately has said things like you know my brothers in russia etc cetera, etc cetera. but um in terms of putin 
he has said that he wants there to be regime change, that he wants Putin to step down, that that's how he sees this ending. How that that there's no chance in hell that's going to happen without an actual all out war. I mean, it would be very difficult. Uh, it, it would it would I don't know what would require. Perhaps it would require, uh, you know, Putin really losing the war. Um, but again, right. I mean, that creates an incentive for, for Putin to, to escalate things to an alarming degree, because if, if it means his own life is potentially threatened, then, right. you know, who knows what he might he might threaten in that situation. I mean, the other thing about you know, when, when I hear these this conversation about regime change in Russia. I mean, I wonder to myself, have people just completely forgotten, you know, the last 20 years? When mm-hmm. in in recent history has regime change led to the kind of outcomes that uh, Western officials and maybe even Western publics have thought uh, it was going to lead to? I mean, in, in Libya, it led to, to anarchy and, and slave markets in the public. I mean, in Iraq, it led to civil war and 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 instability uh you know afghanistan but but in france (laughs) you know no more marie antoinette that's what we're going yeah well exactly i mean people seem to think that that the person who would follow putin in some sort of regime change operation would be some sort of dove or a pro-western person and there's no real reason to believe that that's true at all in fact it's very likely. I mean, if you got rid of the Russian leader, that that in fact what would happen uh, is that that jingoism and militarism would be further inflamed in Russia, and and sort of a drive for revenge. And you get someone who was far far worse than Putin, who's maybe willing to do things that even Putin himself is not willing to do. So I think people need to really think through some of these uh, ideas that they that they throw I don't around. No, I feel like when we jostled um, Afghanistan around, everything worked out great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I just shake the risk board. Can I? I have yeah. I have a question also. Um, when I, when this was all start, I, I host a podcast for the BBC World Service. And when this was all starting, uh, I was working with them. So I was spent in spending all day with a bunch of BBC guys from England. And the, um, the idea of why this was happening, the messaging that they were getting from the news that they were exposed to was completely different from the messaging that we've gotten. It was so much about like resources and some about like the history of um, of Ukraine and NATO. And we were getting so much messaging about Putin's crazy and he has a childhood love personally of the Ukraine. And just hearing you talk about um, the the idea that they they have sat down at the table and things had gotten better at certain points and then it's got worse at certain points how much of this is a calculated chess game that has to do with like motivations about money and resources and power and how much of it is narcissism and being <laughs> lunatics because how I much honestly, time do we got well, i honestly <laughs> feel like that's what we are told over and over in mm. in the media that it's just a bunch of crazies can't do anything there's no way I to mean, right, right, sit right. down no Not no as strategic as what you're saying well i i mean i think that the this casting of, of putin is as just this kind of madman and you know he's hitler and so on and so forth i think it's it's one, it's it's misleading, but it's also very irresponsible because what the idea is, what, what people are trying to say when that happens is there can be no talks and negotiations. There can be mm. no peaceful settlement to this. You can only, I mean, Hitler was not going to compromise. Um, he was someone who had to be militarily defeated. And that's that's what this narrative serves. And I don't think that's true. I, don't, I just don't think it's borne out by by the evidence. I mean, and, and as for the... Um, 
the the cause of the war i mean you know there's there's always a million causes and i think you know there's there's some of putin's own personal pride and some in the way that he was kind of rebuffed by bush and 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 and, and successive u.s governments involved i think there's uh there's, there's there's russia's kind of um pretensions to to being a great power it's it's loss of status after cold war i think that definitely plays a role i think also some domestic stuff plays a role but sure. this idea that that uh, we have been fed in the united states and other countries that uh the policy of, of nato expansion and and western foreign policy over the past 30 years has nothing to do with what's going on is absolutely ridiculous and and i mean right. to to see how ridiculous it is you only have to look at even the Washington Post reported, you know, when um, uh, 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 they were doing the, the the big write up based on all Ukrainian and U.S. sources about the lead up to the war. Um, they had multiple Russian officials quoted in there and not, not, you know, people lower down, but then also Putin himself saying directly, you know, the reason that we're building these troops up and basically threatening to invade is because of NATO expansion. Um, including that's what that's what Putin reportedly said to Biden directly. So it's just yeah. not credible. I'm I'm sorry. I mean, and there's a reason Naftali Bennett, by the way, in that interview said the same thing that the war was about NATO. That's what Putin told him. You could go down. I, I could go on for probably an hour and a half. Um, yeah. uh, right. It's it's him. It's a flex. I mean, and when I say that Putin's crazy, because I did mm. say that, and I think a lot of people say that it's not. It's not he's crazy. Therefore you sh you have to just like you know depose you know topple go full military it's he's crazy so he'll do anything so be very careful with who you're dealing mm. with and probably you know tr look for off ramps looks for ways yeah. to de-escalate and it seems like even though i i think what you said that really struck with struck a chord with me was you know, obviously how many wars have been necessarily deliberate like eyes wide open you know, like so mm. many times people stumble bumble um and are led into world wars. Um, but that Biden ultimately has had a lot of these red lines crossed and hasn't necessarily escalated or done something dramatic. Yes, they've gotten more weaponry, but um, it's like, it's almost like I think he knows. They know who they're dealing with and they know that maybe they need to, they need to bring this person to the table um, and not leave them only the nuclear option. Mm. Um, I guess last question about NATO. What happens after this? If and when. Yeah, that's a, that's a good Should question. We just like shut it. We shut it down. It's probably ready to. No, <laughs> I don't think. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to. You know, I mean, the time to shut NATO down. Um, I mean, I, I think <laughs> eventually. 20 years ago. Yeah, it was 30 years ago when the Cold War ended. I mean, that's that's right. so much of the story of why we're here. I mean, you know, this idea that this is just a kind of Putin talking point or, or whatever is ridiculous. I mean, there have been dozens upon dozens of um, American and other Western officials and experts, including the father of the Cold War policy of containment, George Kennan, uh, including Biden's own CIA director, who, uh, including uh, 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 Mikhail Gorbachev, who was just last year upon his death celebrated in the Western press as this, as this great man, a great Democrat, someone who was the opposite of Putin. Uh, right. All of these people warned repeatedly about the dangers of keeping this military alliance going after Cold War, because what it signaled and what it signaled to this, you know, weakened, um, uh, newly weakened Russia was that actually the Cold War had not ended, that that the the, the United States and the, the Western governments behind it were, were keeping it going. And it, it elicited exactly the reaction that all of these people predicted that, that there was a rise in Russian nationalism, that there was a rise in Russian militarism, that there was this... Right 
deep resentfulness um, among the Russian elite and, and even, you know, not just the elite, the population too. And, and that is so much a story about what's uh, the story of what's going on now. And the reason that it's important to know this, you know, I think, unfortunately, this whole thing has been kind of framed uh, around moral condemnation. Who's more to blame than the other person? And that, mm. that is not really the, 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 the pertinent here thing here. The pertinent thing is, similar to after September 11, um, what happened? Everyone said, well, these people just hate hate us for their freedom, for our freedoms. They're, they're just evil. They just want to uh, uh, commit suffering and, and, and crimes. And that's it. It has nothing to do with, with Western foreign policy and US foreign policy at all. And what did we do? For, for decades, we continued on the same path, doing the same things that fed the exact resentment and anger that led to that crime and, and so many others. Um, it took us a long time to, to realize, actually, no, um, there is a role that US foreign policy plays in this. And it's important to actually reorient foreign policy around that. And right. my worry is if we if we continue to just tell ourselves, oh, this is completely nothing to do with 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 past, you know, recent history of US foreign policy and even even policy under Biden and Trump. This is all just because Putin's evil and he's an imperialist and that's all there is to it. We're going to keep making the same mistakes, and the the world is going to be uh, far less safe as a result. So I think we really need to to you know talk about this and and be able to be mature adults and say yes, the war is bad, but we also have to understand what role uh, you know the, yeah. the actions of our governments played in, in in making it happen, so that we can avoid making this happen again. I agree. Yes, absolutely. I agree. That's a great way to end it. And I just want to say, I do think this is work that should have begun way long ago that I also feel like, you know, it, under Obama, you know, the, the, the red lines around Crimea, it's like, yeah, it's one thing to, to oust diplomats, which is good, but like, what are you doing? What else are you doing? You know, you can't, we are also painting ourselves into a military corner. Mm. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you so much, Bronco, for breaking that down. I apologize if, uh, you know, we, we're coming into this kind of cold. It's been a while and it feels like, you know, you the malaise of just like, well, I haven't really been following. How many dead on this side? How many, dead? you know, it, it gets to you. So I appreciate you you explaining it. And I, I'd love to have you back to, to for some updates as well. Um, do you want to stay on for a dumb final segment? <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's do it. Hell yeah. It's an interesting story was a great story guys because it's fucking valentine's day and no one's getting laid that's right <laughs> new york times opinion essay have more sex please this is a journalist who i don't know her name anyway she writes about sex and how nobody's having it apparently more than a quarter of americans hadn't had sex even once in the past year the last time the general social survey asked in 2021 this was the highest such level of sexlessness in the survey's history that's not fair that was because it pandemic. was the pandemic the, and it still is bananas but apparently it had been going that way okay, okay. the figure includes almost 30 percent of men under 30 a figure that has tripled since 2008 so there you go um women in 2021 roughly a quarter of women under 35 reported having no sex in the past year for men, the figure was 19%, and women who are having sex are less likely to be happy with the sex they're having. That's not all that conversation. Both men and women report feelings of regret and unhappiness following casual sex. It's more common among women, probably in part because of cultural perceptions of sexual autonomy. Uh, sex can bring people together, but that only works when it's good sex. Also, 
anatomy. You know what I'm saying? You got to put in the work, y'all. Well, put I, in the work. That's my, kind of my question. I mean, it's it seems to indicate that they're self-reporting, but also, what is their definition of sex? Like, it just says sex. That are they talking about penetrative? Like unhappy? Pen- you mean the unhappy part? No, just, or like, am I having it? Having sex? Do, do they mean like penetrative, heterosexual sex? Do they mean oral sex? Do they mean like what are they including under the banner of this seems like one of those yeah, studies the, that's like yeah. what's the science here where nobody's having sex science. but everyone's eating ass so like exactly just so celebrate nothing it. but exactly that's safe and eating ass um if you guys need a reminder first of all i've heard this in other places too so it's i see what you're doing eliza <laughs> just we all know no one's having sex and if you need a reminder, sex is good for you. Lack of sex can easily translate into less socialization, fewer families, and a sicker population. Um, sex reduces pain, relieves stress, improves sleep, lowers blood pressure, and strengthens heart health. Honey. <laughs> Just to add that. That's what's going to happen tonight. Honey, it strengthens your heart health. Get over here. Um, okay, so... But I have heard this, that, like, especially young people are having less sex. It's Valentine's Day, so we're going to fix this problem for this country, guys. If we were to be given, let's say you're given a a few million dollars to roll out a campaign, what would it be to get people to fuck again? This is Just Do It. Okay, what are we doing? What is the solution? I could go first. Okay, go for it. It's, I haven't put a lot of thought into this, but I definitely feel like it's sort of full circle to our first conversation about Penn Bagley. I kind of want to see celebrities having sex. <laughs> I, you want high-end <laughs> porn, Hollywood porn. I want Hollywood porn, none of this deep fake BS. We need more NC-17 stuff. Look, Clooney and Roberts, they're in a rom-com. Let's see them doing it. I don't need your cute little one-liners. I mean, I also need that. Kush, uh, Kushner and Witherspoon are in a new rom-com. Let's see him nake nake. I want to let's let's go to town on this. I think that would absolutely help. That's what we all want. Like, I mean, that's what I want. When I see a rom-com, I'm like, but can they do it? Can they just do it? Um, I also think sex therapists should be talking like every night, like instead of like Skinamax or it's like, like no, so- we don't need more porn, but we need more people talking about sex. Like, you know, Dr. Ruth, like, who's, by the way, 94 right now, German sex therapist, uh, 94, Holocaust survivor. So what have you done with your life? Um, I just want her to, like, talk about, like, the clitoris, you know, like, I just, she would probably say clitoris, but, like, I want her to show, like, the different, you know, the chamber, here you stimulate, like, that should be nightly viewing. We should learn how to get give better head have better sex like i think that like tips that's what we that's what we need um final thought just like the this is your brain on drugs it should be this is your brain on sex <laughs> and it's just like a fucking omelet of of eggs just like hell yeah no, it's amazing <laughs> it's delicious <laughs> um i have a different theory okay uh i think that we've actually gotten too much actual sex like since Pornhub and we got free streaming porn online it's like a fire hose of sex that is available to people constantly and I think the problem is not 
like people don't know what to do once they're having sex is that they're not wanting to have sex. So I think we got to I think we got to work on the sexiness. I would Ooh, say like romance. Yeah, well, not even romance because it can be sexy without being romantic. I would suggest a series of PSAs, um, real sex shot, real sexy, um, showing all kinds of different people be mm-hmm. really confident and talk about something that they find fascinating and just like make them look like a fascinating person. You know, you light them right. Mm. You give them some like key lights, uh, basically make like everybody look like um, what's his name? The most fascinating man in the world. But they're right. like, I fascinating, wanna, like a, uh-huh. I want to tell you about my whatever, my water purification system or my magic cards or whatever. So people can see something that makes them feel like something about them that's just normal, could be sexy. And also they're getting kind of turned on by weird normal people because I think capitalism has ruined sex because it has limited what people think they are supposed to be attracted to. It's become this thing where it's like, this is like Ashton Kutcher is the hot man and whatever. Blake Lively is the hot lady. And that's what we're supposed to want. And it's not what people naturally want. And so I think people are just like, aren't in connecting with the parts of them, their, their butts and their guts that like get them horny. And I think we got to wake that back (laughs) up. You know what I mean? Just like, yes. Yeah. 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 Like Like tight shot on like someone's like, like real thighs and then just be like, I have, eczema <laughs> well you know, maybe not the of- worst things about them but just as i said things that they find fascinating okay, okay. i think when people okay. talk about stuff that they find interesting i think that's that that's that that's the best place i find Wait, it's to true crew in, to key into anyone's charisma god that's such a woman thing to say <laughs> that is what charisma. turns us on I we lo- i mean i'm but what turns we'll me on me- is just someone who's passionate about what they do or like someone kind of smart you know what i'm saying yeah like i've been turned on the whole time that you were talking about ukraine bronco sorry <laughs> I'm, I'm totally fucking with you <laughs> <laughs> well let me let me give you a, a very meat and potatoes uh answer for what, what i think i mean well, number one first of all we could uh, maybe take a page out of whatever they did to get the pandas having sex again because that, yeah, that seems they watched, they watched isolate porn. them with just I think they did. panda <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they did have panda porn yeah but i mean and you know i i agree that probably uh our society's uh unhealthy relationship with, with porn uh is probably you know is part of the the culprit here but also i mean you know to me very telling detail in in uh that piece that you you read out was uh you know it's tripled since 2008. What happened in 2008? You had a, a economic crisis. Uh, people's uh, living standards, you know, uh, uh, went back uh, severely. Yep. Um, and I mean, you know, if, if you want to have sex, I mean, what does that involve? You can you know, just call someone up and say, hey, come over. I want to have sex. Um, some, some people can do that, you know, but for most people, uh, you know, you need to have a... Um, uh, a house you need to have a place that you can take them to you need to be able to afford dinner you, or a movie or going out that's or, true. You, you don't know. always need an air a mattress though and yeah. I've, <laughs> I've made that mistake <laughs> there are there um, are definitely innovations there that, that yeah that you can do but you know i mean generally you need some sort of uh roof over your head right and, i mean all of these things in the society that we live in uh cost money um and so i think that's a big part of it so you know i would say one, I would need a lot more than just a few million dollars. You know, I would say we need to build affordable housing. We need to be able to, you know, give people jobs, perhaps through a federal job guarantee, perhaps through some sort of massive 
green infrastructure investment that that you know creates really good uh, union and, and 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 good paying jobs. We need people. a love stimulus. <laughs> I love I love that. I love, like a love stimulus stimulus. stimulus. I, um, <laughs> I I agree, and also all of those things create internal confidence. Like people feel mm. proud enough mm-hmm. about themselves that they can approach other people and feel sexy about themselves and be like yeah. i would be fun for this person instead of being like i'm a weirdo and i sleep on a towel <laughs> you know yeah no absolutely just, and, and you know it, while you're at it why not fund you know give give money to state and local governments to to, to set up events you know i mean you could you could do something as outlandish as having a kind of uh, government-funded kind of speed dating thing, or you could have people. Um, you know, I mean, where do people meet? They meet at at, at shows. They meet at at I don't yeah. know uh, festivals. Festival. And so on yeah. and so forth. more yeah, places exactly. for Proud Boys to show up armed. I'm kidding. <laughs> Obviously, we're imagining a world that doesn't exist right now. No, funny story. I did a Nagio uh, piece for uh, the show Explorer, and the Japanese government's having a terrible time of getting people to procreate and have kids. And so they do like speed dating, like set up by local governments. Um, and it's adorable and it was very cute. And they have like, there was like a little mascot. It was like a small town. Hmm. We could totally do that here. I also think, I just think in general, like you have to, to feel sexy for me, you got to be re- a little bit relaxed mm-hmm. and a lot of bit relaxed if you actually want to, you know, finish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's very difficult to be relaxed when you're thinking about climate chaos, impending doom. So ignore the news. Railway- yes. Exactly. Just thinking. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Turn off this podcast right now and go have sex. <laughs> you, if you're within the sound of my voice. Um, but no, exactly. You're just, you're like, there's so many worries in general and to, and also turning off your brain after being so overstimulated, not just by pornography, but like information, your phone in general. Sex is kind of one of those only times where we're like, sometimes you got music on, but it might be kind of quiet. It might be kind of lovely. It might be kind of like still. Things might be slower. And we're just not used to that anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I think also uh, another kind of both of those points the we're being overstimulated and it would be great if we had like block parties or whatever we just <laughs> don't speak to people in public i think that if people if if people started um socializing in public again like we can't we can now we're not right. having to isolate as much uh you should know your neighbors i'm not saying you're gonna fuck your neighbors but if you know them then you will start knowing the people at the coffee shop at least and then could. you will start knowing yeah. their friends <laughs> and then you will meet real people. Like we've become so reliant on dating apps and on the internet in yeah. general for all forms of socializing. And it doesn't really do the same things to our brains. We think it does, but it doesn't. Mm. I talked to the guy in the Trader Joe's checkout line. Like I talked to the, the cashier about, uh, pico de gallo and like 30 seconds in i was like are we fucking right now like i I was (laughs) yeah there were there was like three were three sentences exchanged i'm like i'm pretty sure we're boyfriend girlfriend because i haven't spoken to a stranger like this in it forever yeah we've gotten so used to these curated bubbles online that we're like you weren't yeah i excuse me stranger on the street uh you weren't part of an algorithm assigned to me yeah i'm not interested in mating your dog you know (laughs) to me i mean that that's such a part of the story right is the uh is just the way that we've all become much more isolated and atomized over the you know the past however many decades we there, there is less of a communal 
life communal experiences that, that that we you know experience through social groups and it's all just become an individual thing so yeah i mean i think it, i mean i think in general you know putting down your phone as much as you can uh getting off the computer as much as you can to the extent that you can is always good not just for you know the potentially the the potential of, of having sex at one point but also just generally <laughs> uh you know i mean it's just healthier for you it, it, these things do not do good things to our brain um, and yeah. I say that as someone who is very reliant on all this technology, I, I'm very aware, uh, uh, horrifically aware, actually, of, of what it does to my brain when I'm using it. Have you read Stolen right. Focus? I haven't. It's pretty great. And it's about how yeah. our uh, ability to um, pay attention and to focus on mm. things, to read books, to all that stuff that we used to do so easily has been eroded. Um, mm. But by so many different aspects of society, because I feel like a lot of the messaging that I've gotten about what you're saying, like we should be off the our phones, it we end up kind of blaming ourselves and being like, ah, I was on mm -hmm. my phone too much. I'm such an idiot. And it just makes it harder as opposed to recognizing like there are so many factors working very mm. hard to encourage us to keep picking up those phones. It's not even just social media. It's so many things. Mm. Anyway, that's yep. my rant. It's a good well, book. No, no, I mean, well, <laughs> No, that's Bill Burnham I mean, had like a whole thing where he was like, all they're doing is vying for our attention. And it's like, you're right. And I'm one of them. Well, and they're trying to make us little workers and little consumers. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, of, I mean, uh -huh. I'll, I'll just say very quickly. I mean, I, there's no reason that phones and, and the like social media, all these things have to be designed the way that they're designed. They're designed exactly. specifically to keep us addicted. I mean, I mean you know, you can imagine a, a, a type of, of cell phone or a smartphone uh that that doesn't necessarily you know make you just kind of keep coming back and back and back you know i think there's well, other ways to do this and right, it of, will shut down one of the if you're yeah, on it for too long one of these examples on the in the book is like why isn't um facebook for instance why doesn't that alert you when there are people in your area who you're friends with and you could have lunch with like hmm. oh, that, it yeah. could be that could be a very functional part of that but it would get you off of the app so it's like even yeah. these ideas of social media could be helping us but yeah. you got to earn social media time by spending in time person in person time yeah does that make mm. sense be like oh cool i've got credits because i you know <laughs> talked to the dude about pico de gallo and now i can scroll instagram <laughs> for 15 minutes um bronco thank you so much for joining us where can people find you and follow your work uh, I mean, you can find me on Twitter, uh, B Marchateach, with uh, H's after the C's. Uh, you can find me on Jacobin, where I'm a staff writer. I also write for In These Times, which is a great progressive magazine in Chicago, and uh, you know, about a bunch of other places. Yeah, just Google. Amazing, it. amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Take very good care. Come back soon. And Eliza Skinner, we have a little bit more show talking about little workers, the littlest workers. Um, just a quick bonus for the patrons. But in the meantime, where can people find you and follow your work? I'm on Twitter at Adeliza Skinner. I'm on Instagram at at eSkins. Um, and I'm kind of secretly on TikTok at at Eliza and Boo. It's mostly mostly videos of my dog. He oh is alive. God. Boo. The dog in the background, by the yeah, way, if he's people listening, alive. is just a straight Jim Henson Muppet. Yes. And you can also watch my Jim Henson show, Earth to Ned, on, uh, on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Amazing. Incredible. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Take very good care. And thank you all for being here. Um, obviously, rolling with these stories, some heavy ones, some light ones. Hope you're all, if you're not already just mid-thrust right now. That was gross. But um, 
Serge Heiko says socialism is when no Beyonce tickets, smiley face. Thank you. I appreciate that uh, tongue in cheek joke. I'm sure I was getting hate for it and I do get hate for it. But uh, did I randomly click pay on two seats? I have no idea where they are located. Yeah, that's that's what happened because I was focused on the show, y'all. Um, let's see. <laughs> Cyborg. Cyborg F Cyborg F Gaming on Twitch, Coco, tits or get the fuck out. Internet basics. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's how you do well on Twitch generally. Although, I guess you're not supposed to these days. Gary Cooper. To be fair, even if it just happened to one woman, everybody in Antarctica would know about it. There aren't many people there, so they all run into each other. Indeed. Awkward. Um Martin on YouTube, New York Post owned by Rupert Murdoch now, coincidentally sitting with Elon in his box at the Super Bowl. Yeah. If this had happened, if the hearing had happened after the Super Bowl, I, I feel like AOC would have mentioned it. But it, the subtext around her testimony and her line of questioning was also like, you guys are throwing down with this billionaire because you believe that the the platform is rigged against you. And of course, it's not. And this billionaire is on your side. And that's why you love him. And that's, where you, that's why that's it. And yeah, these guys are mainstream news. And they, they consistently tell you they're not. They're gaslighting us. And that term is used very aptly here. They're gaslighting us into saying, no, no, I'm not mainstream media. Oh, yeah, yeah. The big tech is biased against me. I love how they think tech is like biased against the right wing just because there's like women and people of color who work in tech. Oh, it's based in California. Whoa. Like, no, no. Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, they're still crushing it on the numbers. Steven Crowder, they're still number one. Um, JP says, we are so fortunate to at least have an AOC to witness the horrors of the GOP. Yes, AOC is my Beyonce. What? Um, Camperman 5000, I got distracted by Boo waking up. Speaking of Eliza's dog, Martin says, Eliza's dog is super chill. Fat guy named Tiny on Twitch, 380 times as much an average, on average. Um, I don't know what that is in reference to that. I think that is about train derailments. Um, thank you so much, Robert, for the super chat. If a corporation kills people, it should go down. Absolutely. If only. Oh, 380 times. That was CEO to worker pay. Um, Willie Gus says social support is sexy. Camperman 5000. Give everyone free weed and a love stimulus. Problem solved. Um, Gary Cooper. What does a speed dating mascot look like? Oh, very cute. It was like just... It was a giant vagina. No, it was not. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like a little a wife and a husband, little like Japanese dolls. I forgot their names. Um, and with that, y'all, thank you so much be, for being supporters of the show. You know what time it is. It's time. Do we have any new patrons at $10? I don't think so. The fart song. <laughs> To the big tipper, Sarah Osmond, uh, who tipped on Cash App, I appreciate you. And to all of the people who resubbed on Twitch, I will get to you next week. Your girl forgot to open up that window, so my be. 
Um, everyone can become patrons. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room. Again, you get access to the bonus content. We're talking about child labor laws being obliterated in the year 2023 because we need more worker bees. Yes, this is happening. Is it happening in your state? We'll get into it. Y'all, we stream every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Thank you to Paige Omek, to Maximilian Inhoff, and to Andy Vasoyan, the editor. Follow the show, Twitter, Bituation Pod, TikTok, and Instagram, at Franny Fio. And remember, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just be about it, bitch about it, Beyonce about it. Bye-bye. <laughs>